0: This time, Art Williams will come with our. S- I never can figure out whether it's a sermonette or a split sermon. Split sermon, thank you, Identity Crisis Deja Vu, all over again. Who are you? Who are we, individually and collectively? Well, if we've been baptized with hands laid upon us, then through the redeeming blood of our Savior and by grace, we are saved through faith. We have God's Holy Spirit living within us. We are the sons of God and heirs with Christ. And while there are many (coughs) varieties of opinions and many faiths and religious approaches, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. And that is the solution for unity over the long term. In Hebrews 5, verse 5, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also said in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Continuing in Hebrews 7, starting in verse 11, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the priest will receive the law, what further need was there that Another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment but according to the law of an endless life for on the one hand there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness for the law was made nothing the law made nothing perfect on the other hand there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. The law was given nationally to ancient Israel for them to become a model nation before the world. The blessings promised to them were physical. And as we just read, the law made nothing perfect. In Galatians three, twenty four and twenty-five, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. This is the beginning of the better hope through which we become closer to God. With that event, the death of Christ, the better promises of hope become real. And the confusion between the spiritual intent of the law and the legalism of the law, that which makes us legally compliant to the letter of the law. Guidelines are given in the New Testament. Paul taught the New Testament churches to keep the holy days. Conclusion. When Jesus taught Paul in Arabia, he did not tell him to stop keeping the Holy Days. Hence, we don't need a doctrinal committee to tell us what to do. And there are a number of other examples that we can draw the same conclusions from. However, Jesus resisted the traditions of the elder, which is the quote, oral Torah, created by the rabbis for the purchase of explaining the law, and by that explanation, get a greater understanding, and the, which the rabbi, rabbis said would draw one closer to God. Those of, Christ, those of Christianity draw closer to God through the active relationship with God, being led by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever read how Abraham was a friend of God? And Jesus called the disciples his friend and David in the Psalms repeatedly used the personal pronouns where he prayed for about the events in his personal life and repeatedly requested God to intervene on his behalf to obtain a certain desire, outcome. And of course, everybody remembers David's prayer for the life of the baby and the events around Bathsheba. When if someone is your friend, you have a personal relationship with them. Proverbs 16, 9, a man's heart divides his way. That way means path or journey. But the Lord directs his steps. The steps are the little small increments of a longer journey. And the Lord is there guiding them. He he doesn't necessarily do that without you inviting him in, however. The more you ask and invite him in, you ask for his advice and for his input, (coughs) for any will or purpose that he might want to fulfill through you. That gives meaning to life. It is allowing God to have a say with his will and purpose as manifested in your life's endeavors outside of religious practices and study. Having a personal relationship with God has nothing to do with establishing your own personal law or moral code, right or wrong. Jesus said to keep his words and the commandments and we endeavor to do that, but not by the letter of the law, but rather through the spiritual intent of the law. Have you not read how Moses negotiated with God? In Exodus 32, 7-14, through 14, God was ready to destroy Israel and make a new nation from Moses. And, and God says to Moses, your people have sinned, indicating God has disowned Israel. Moses replies to God and says, your people have sinned, placing the ownership of Israel right back on God. Moses then continued on pointing out to God the ramifications if God was to destroy Israel and start a new nation from Moses. God relented and changed his mind. In Ecclesiastes 3 it says, To everything there is a season and a time, to every purpose under heaven. Do you want to make decisions regarding purposes and timing on your own without inquiring of God to determine if he has any preference or input? He may have a will and purpose to work things out through you that you're unaware of. Then again, he may not care at all. <laughs> Philippians 2.13, For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. John 16.13, How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. I want to stop at that word truth, because so often we get sidetracked into spiritual issues That word truth means both objectively and subjectively. And it is under any consideration or reality or certainty. It may be duties of man in in regards to moral and religious truth. Or it can be simply a reality, a fact, and a certainty in any situation. And it can also mean truth as in personal excellence candor of mind, free from affection, pretense, simulation, falsehood, and deceit. Continuing with the scripture, into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Continuing in Galatians 5.14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, the last oh, I don't know, six weeks or so, there have been a couple of new words that have been thrown around here in our congregation. One is that one is the Torah. The Torah means instructions or teaching. In the English, it's referred to as the Pentateuch. However, in rabbinic literature, the word Torah denotes the first five books that is written law and an oral Torah that is spoken. The oral Torah consists of interpretations and amplifications which according to rabbinic tradition had been handed down from generation to generation. And now embodied in the Talmud and the Mishrash. <laughs> now in the first five books, God says in Deuteronomy 12.32, Whatsoever thing I have commanded you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish therefrom. And in James 2.10, we are reminded for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of it all. In Luke 4.4, 4, this is a scripture that has been used to show us that we should keep all the law of Moses. And it's Jesus speaking, and he says, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. <clears throat> In the scripture, Jesus says written, so he's referring to the written word of God. And the term word means spoken word. And therefore we conclude this is the law of Moses that he's talking about because Moses spoke the word of God, I'm sorry, God spoke his words to Moses who then wrote it down. This is not referring to the oral Torah. He made the statement while being tempted by Jesus. The place was ancient Israel, And the time was shortly before he began his ministry. Now, the law of Moses includes many things. Sacrificial law, religious law, criminal law, civil law, and governmental laws. The sacrificial laws were done away, of course, by the sacrifice of Christ. Changing the priesthood and changing the law, which you've already read. The criminal and civil laws in the laws of Moses are in conflict with the laws of the land. Practicing of the laws of Moses today could have resulted in some of you men already having been killed and not being here because you were a rebellious and stubborn child. Don't you, don't you wise look at your husband on that. <laughs> I saw some of that going on back there. Um, and for your fathers, it may have resulted in you serving life terms in prison or waiting execution for murder. And what I'm referring to is Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21, the law regarding a rebellious son. This serves to illustrate the point. If we must believe that we're to keep every word of God as expressed in the law of Moses, we can't pick and choose either, but yet, in a way, we have to because we're not living under that society and in that nation. Laws of perpetuity, slavery, cities of refuge, divorce, oh, ladies... There is no right for you to file for divorce against your husband. It's a one-way street. Men can put away their wives. Wives cannot put away their husbands. Forty stripes perpetuating a brother's name or a rebellious son must all be observed to the letter. We who are under grace strive to keep the spiritual intent of the commandments and the words of Jesus through the power of of the Holy Spirit because we love what Jesus did for us. And being doers of the word, demonstrate our faith by our works. And the book of James elaborates quite a bit on being a doer of the work. In Leviticus 24, 5 through 9, we find out that the showbread was initiated and only for the priests. They were only the ones that were allowed to eat it. But in 1 Samuel 21, 6, David and his men... Went into the house of God, and the priest gave them the bread to eat. A violation of the law. In Matthew 12.4, Jesus says they were blameless. Jesus in 12.4 goes on to point out how the priests profane the Sabbath themselves by the work that they do on the Sabbath. Paul addresses an issue that he had. Galatians 4, starting in verse 8, 8, 9, and 17, we're going to look at. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves by those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Those people are zealous to win you over, but not for good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may have zeal for them. Continuing in Galatians 5, 1 through 5. For it is the freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he obligated to the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. In Galatians 5:14 it says, "For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this: Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself." One way to demonstrate love for your neighbor is not to offend people. Jesus said in Matthew 18:6 and 7, but whosoever shall offend one of these little ones, and this can mean spiritual babes, which believe in me, it were better for a millstone be hanged around his neck, and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Continuing in verse 7, woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. And Jesus continues in Luke 7, 46, 47, giving us more insight on love. Entering, uh, coming in in the middle of the conversation here. You did, not, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whosoever has been forgive, give, given little, loves little. If we fail to have an awareness of the forgiveness and grace that he so graciously bestows upon us, we will be lacking love. It is through this personal relationship with Jesus, seeking him to lead us to see the full magnitude of grace and forgiveness he has bestowed upon us that we increase our love. And he goes on, and we're going to skip on up to a different subject a little bit here, about speaking in foreign languages in 1 Corinthians 14, 4 through 5 and verse 9. Anyone who speaks in a tongue, in a tongue foreign tongue that is, a foreign language, edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. So it is with you, in verse 9, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anybody know what you're saying? You would just be speaking in air. We have in the Old Testament an example of Israel's uh, failure, Israel's history, Romans 9, 31 through 33, Jesus, uh, Paul is saying, But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they th- sought it not by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. It is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. And in Mark 2, 27, it says, And he said unto them, Jesus speaking, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. i repeat that. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, if one believes that the Sabbath was made for man, the Sabbath is subservient to man. He uses it for the intended purpose, spiritually, for which God gave it. And in doing so, by faith, serves, obeys, and worships God. If one obeys that man was made for the Sabbath, then he places man subservient to the Sabbath, keeping it by the bondage of the works of the law. Now, question, question, serious question. How does one keep the Sabbath by faith and not the works of the law? How does one keep the Sabbath by faith and not the works of the law? I'll leave you with that question. Romans 6.16 do, you know, do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are the one's slaves whom you obey? You are that one's slaves who you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness Romans 10 1 through 4 brethren my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved for I bear them record that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes Galatians 3.24 tells us that the purpose of law was, or is. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And the book of James tells us how to demonstrate our faith by our works. One of the basic principles of justification by faith is grace, Romans 6.14 through 16. For sin shall not have have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. I like to, on my own studies, I like to invert what the scripture is saying, because sometimes you can get more out of it that way. Now, this is one of those scriptures. Invert this scripture and say it in the reverse. For sin shall have dominion over you, for you are under the law and not under grace that's like counterintuitive isn't it? I mean we have laws in our society so the society is organized so we can do things without mucking everything up and here it's saying for sin shall have dominion over you if you are under the law years ago in This is probably an archaic term. It's probably not even—I know it's not even around anymore. It's probably been replaced with a clinical term. There used to be, back in the 60s, 70s, a term that was paradoxical behavior modification. And the reason it was called paradoxical is because if you want to modify somebody's behavior, you didn't tell them to stop doing this. When you tell somebody to stop doing this and they concentrate on it, you know what you're doing? You're reinforcing it right here and it makes it more difficult to overcome it. What they found was, you don't focus on that. You focus on getting yourself out of that environment, out of those things that trigger those responses, those impulses. Get yourself focused on something else. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Continuing on in the next scripture. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that whom ye give yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death, obedience unto righteousness. So are you a servant of the law or are you a servant of God? And how does one differentiate between those two? Because instructions... Are lessons sometimes laws? John fourteen twenty one. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that I, that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. John fourteen twenty three. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Two instructions, keep my commandments, keep my words. Yielding yourself as servants to Jesus to keep the spiritual intent of the law through the power of the Holy Spirit within you, then, by grace, you are saved through faith. Second Timothy two twelve. If we suffer, we shall all reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Life and death hanging in the balance. I got. A there was another term that came up over the last six weeks or so too on several occasions. It's called Hebrew roots. You know what comes around goes around. It was back in the 1980s that William Dacken did a whole series and studies on this back in the Worldwide Church of God. So it's been around for a while. It changes its its thrusts and its viewpoints. Community Jewish. I'm sorry, Jewish community issues. Jews for Jesus. As Jewish believers, we often encourage Gentile Christian. We often encourage Gentile Christians to learn about the Jewish roots of our faith. Many benefits from the insights they gain from these connections. However, a growing segment of believers are demonstrating an excessive interest in Jewish roots, which can be harmful to the spiritual growth. Hebrew roots or Jewish roots movements refer to various organizations with a common common emphasis on recovering the original Jewishness of Christianity. This recovery comes through studying the Bible in its Jewish context, observing the Torah, keeping the Sabbath and the festivals, avoiding the paganism of Christianity, affirming the existence of original Hebrew language gospels, and in some cases, denigrating the Greek, text of the, New Te- the Greek text of the New Testament. Writers such as Roy Blizzard, David Biven, Brad Young, Robert Lindsay, have given much impetus to this movement. A proliferation of teachers, ministries, and institutions associated with the J- Jewish Hebrew Roots movement has a growing presence on the internet. Consequently, many believers are intrigued in trying to understand the movement. We find a certain fuzziness that makes it difficult to characterize it by any one set of doctrines. Dwight Pryor, a leading voice for evangelicals in the Jewish Roots Movement, warns that some believers are forsaking Jesus and Christianity because of their growing fondness for Judaism and its teachings. They are crossing the line from appreciation to adulation of the Jewish roots. It almost seems as though these lapsing Christians believe that a special insight into the Jewish roots somehow elevates their status, as though there is an inherent superiority in being Jewish. These people have forgotten that God loves every nation and that all cultures have unique contributions to make to the body of Jesus. Hebrew roots teachers call upon believers to study Hebrew and learn about Jewish culture, which most of us can appreciate. More often than that, however, they call Gentiles to a Torah observed and or festival observant lifestyle as a means of drawing closer to Jesus and being conformed to his image. The implication is, if you really want to please God, if you really want to be holy, here are the rules. Even though most do not believe these observations are necessary for one's salvation, there is often an implication that this is the higher road. Scripture is warned against such things. When believers forsake apostolic teaching and when they downgrade the Greek New Testament text, when they elevate the roots of their faith above the faith itself, they are in danger. Many don't realize that it is impossible to return to the precise practices of the early church when Jewish believers served as the chief leaders. Much of the Jewish roots movement actually is based upon later Jewish rabbinic tradition. More importantly, the question of whether Gentiles need to adopt a Jewish lifestyle and return to Jewish roots was settled by the Jerusalem Council described in Acts 15. The remarkable news of the Gospel is that in Jesus, Jews and Gentiles have direct access to God Rural Christians in China won't be drawn closer to God through studying Hebrew and waving Israeli flags in worship. They, they need what we all need, more time in prayer, meditation of the word of God. A deeper understanding of the first century Judaism can also help people better understand Jesus and his contemporaries. There are many good books and tapes available on the subject. One of them I read was Life and Times of Jesus. But Jewish and Gentile believers need to focus on applying the words and action of Jesus to their cultural context today. Maybe we can serve as a reality check for those brothers and sisters who begin to reject sound teachings and slip into an unhealthy glorification of Jewish roots. Like an inexperienced gardener who may confuse the flowers with the weeds, so the enthusiastic but callow believer may be unable to distinguish between those Jewish rich teachings which enrich and those that impoverish our faith. That's the danger. Jesus says in Revelation 22:16, "I Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches: I am the root and the offspring of David." In the bright and morning star. In First Corinthians ten, four. And all and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. First Corinthians three: eleven. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The root, the foundation, and the rock for Christianity is Christ. If you wish to practice a pure religion, it's interesting. Because in James 1.27, he says, Pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widowed in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Interesting. He doesn't say anything about theology in there. It doesn't say anything about religion. It doesn't even say anything about worshiping, other than to keep yourself unspotted from the world. <coughs> Again, we could read that scripture in the inverse also. Instead of pure religion, we put put in defiled religion. The identity of true believers is found in Christ. On Jesus. Those that have Jesus as their high priest, the Son of God, their Savior, their Redeemer, are called Christians because they follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. They worship him in spirit and in truth, while seeking to fulfill the commandments and by his word, by faith through love, by making manifest through the power of the Holy Spirit, love joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. We, as spirit-begotten Christians, sons of the living God, are to rely on the dynamic Holy Spirit of the living, almighty God within us to guide us, teach us, rightly divide the word, and to mold us into the new creature, the very image of Christ.